Boom. Hello and welcome to the Executive Protection Lifestyle Podcast, Season 4. With your host, Byron Rogers. This podcast is dedicated to the Executive Protection Practitioner, the private security professional. In this podcast, we're going to talk about the mental, emotional, psychological, physiological fitness that goes into being an efficient and effective executive protection agent. Whether you're in law enforcement, whether you're a mom that's looking at how to protect your children or a father that's focused on how to protect his family, I believe this podcast has something for all of you. We might even get into some tales from the crypts of true Hollywood stories from time to time. I'm doing this podcast because I feel the reality of this job is simple. If you really want to be good at executive protection, it's more than just a job. It really is a lifestyle and those of you who've been in the game for any serious amount of time you already know what i'm saying is true so if that sounds interesting to you enjoy the show out boom what's up you guys byron rogers here another awesome episode we're up in here getting it in you know um (laughs) we're firing already (laughs) yeah i know right digital sparring i've got bernardo of tactical fitness austin in the house we're going to talk about a lot of things today i'm so excited how you doing brother I'm doing awesome, man. Thanks for the opportunity of being here. 100%. Um, thanks for the time and attention. Your boy, Richard Stedig, has been, been been like, yo. <laughs> He's been like, yo, you yeah. need to interview my guy. I'm like, I, I know. It just times has been crazy. So He's a legend. He's a legend. Uh, I mean, without him, I don't know uh, if that would have been possible. But uh, still, man, I know you're a busy guy. So, so thanks a lot for opening up the schedule for that. Yeah, man. No, likewise, man. We're all busy, but it's an honor to connect with good people, man. So, yeah, well, I wanted to say, first of all, that uh, I admire a lot everything that you're doing and you've created like a really cool brand already that is huge, man. Everybody knows you and everybody's heard about you. And so it's it's a big privilege to be in, in your podcast. Thank you. No, I appreciate that, man. It's an honor and a privilege. I'm just like a dude trying to contribute, man. So once things start blowing up, I'm just like, wow, you know, we're, we're solving problems for people, you know, we're getting things that, to good people that they need. And that really is what matters, man. So it's really cool. So yeah, I mean, it's awesome to have a platform too, that people can like learn and get better and, and like a positive thing. So that's been really, really rewarding, you know? So yeah, man, thank you for that. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you, man. And like you said, like having a purpose, I think, uh, that is positive like that is what makes it so rewarding. On purpose, man, it's something I'm passionate about. Um, my book, Finding Meaning After the Military, it's all about finding that new fight, dude. I think that's what keeps us alive. You know, as yeah. warriors, we need that, man. And, and without that, our souls die, you know. hundred um, percent, so- man. hundred percent. I was actually, well, I spoke about it a lot with people because... Uh, it took a while for me to make a, a decision to really leave active duty. Yeah. And, you know, I heard all sorts of things, but <clears throat> I remember a friend of mine told me uh, the hardest thing uh, about leaving the military is that you feel like you don't, you're not doing anything of value anymore. Like you feel like you're not uh, doing something that matters, right? Because everything, I mean, when you're in, in active duty in combat, you're dealing with life or, or death, right? Even if most of the times, hey, you might find yourself doing something stupid, but yeah. at the end of the day, the purpose is that, right? So it's an important purpose. It gives you value as an individual that it's right. very easy to understand. And, and oftentimes you see how in society, a lot of individuals can't really find value to their lives. It's so hard. 
And yeah. so when you, when you leave the military after you had it like so good in that sense of finding value to what you do, suddenly you're out in the world and you need to redefine what makes you valuable. And it's very, very hard to do. This is the, this is the good stuff, man. We're already getting into the good stuff. That's, that's 100% correct, man. That's how I feel about it. And I, and I, you know, for those of you guys listening, find your new fight, find something that matters. Like when, like you said, in the military, you have a mission. Everything is towards this mission. You know, my mission as a protector is to make the world a safer place by helping good people become more formidable, more dangerous. And so as a protector, I'm multiplying protectors in the world, multiplying white white blood cells. This is a mission that I'm like really like excited about. You got to find that. Even if you work your day job, fine, work your day job. But have that mission as well on your side hustle or however, because that will bring you to life, man. You know, yeah, yeah, that's that. I found also another thing I missed about the military is that you get paid to do cool stuff like Uh, you know, you you beat people up or you shoot and like everything, whatever. Like, I, I, you know, unless you're very certain jobs, you can't do that stuff anymore. Like, it's (laughs) yeah, Yeah. that's the difficulty, man. That is (laughs) because. That is a difficult thing to find. Um, I agree 100%. I saw this meme that was like PTSD. It was this like Marine saw gunner. He's like, you know, getting in it. There's like an explosion going off next to him. And it's like PTSD is when you realize you'll never be this cool ever again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah I agree cool with you. Man. Yeah. So that's get out so there. Good, man. It's yeah, just cool. Man. Sometimes you miss that with all, with all the bad things that were around it. There's things like you're like, oh, I Want to do that? I want to go yeah. to those places again. I want to do that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, man. Get friggin'. I I dump it into training. I just try to find the coolest, best training I can. Yeah. Work out really hard. Get my combatives in hard. You know, and that kind of feeds the beast and keeps it. Definitely. Cool. Otherwise, it's like being a Lamborghini forced to drive in a school zone at twenty-five miles an hour to you occasionally. Yeah, hundred percent. hundred percent. That's what it can feel like. <laughs> How yeah, are you man. doing? Dude, it's it's I'm doing good. Um, shameless plug. We got the uh, protector games coming up. Wow. So, you know, if guys, if you guys want to come out, compete, learn, hang with a bunch of protectors network, go to protectornation.com. Check that out. We got protector symposium 5.0 coming up. I got my school rolling out on ground events under the League of Executive Protection Specialists. So, you know, lots of great training opportunities for good people. And I'm just trying to organize it, synthesize it and, and get it to the right folks. So we're hammering right now. That's awesome. Where, yeah, where, where are the games? Where is it going to be? It's going to be out here in SoCal, man. Uh, we're we're, we're going to have them out at Prado Olympic Shooting Park. Mm. And, um, you know, it'll be kind of shooting competition style. So if you guys are worried about comp- competing, it's not a competing type of pressure. You're solo performing when it's your turn you want to see where you stack up you go online afterwards and see where you stack up it's like it's really just a good time with good people but yeah man prado no walkthroughs it's going to be totally blacked out it's just going to be you and when you walk through that gate you and like one range coach making sure you're safe and you're going to have to navigate make decisions shoot no shoots medical shooting it's going to be great man. that's great that's very good training yeah brother legit Legit. Hey, that's what we try to keep it legit, man. You know, <laughs> let's see what we can do before we have to see what we can do for real, you know? Um, yeah, man. So guys, um, Bernardo is, 
He's got an ocean of experience in high threat environments, um, internationally uh, with the IDF, uh, with um, uh, U.S. agencies. Um, uh, The dude's been around the block and he's a contributor, a heavy contributor. Uh, He's doing good things for good people, helping good people become better with the experience he has. So, um, you know, it's an honor to get real deal legit guys on the podcast and have these conversations man just so you guys get a little background on him i'll let him go into it but just setting the stage here so yeah man why don't you break out kind of your background where you've been what you've been up to yeah i know you're a humble guy but like brag about yourself like they need to know (laughs) okay well first of all thanks for the intro and it's very uh very very nice what you're saying and um I think, uh, yeah, like you said, I don't like to brag uh, because I, I feel like there's always someone better than you. 100%. Uh, but like you said, yeah, at the end of the day, you have to also value yourself and what you've done. I think um, yeah. one of the, the biggest, uh, let's say, um, highlights for my career is that I've been to very different, uh, uh, um, uh, you know, a very big amount of different units and niches, which not a lot of people have. A lot of people have a, a lot of experience, usually in one place or two. And yeah. I've somehow I've been like a nomad going through different uh, um, disciplines within the same industry. Right. So um, my background, I, I uh, it's also strange in a way because I come from a very multicultural, um, you know, experience. weird background. Uh, yeah. it, it is weird. Like I can't even explain it myself yet, but um, <laughs> I was I was bo- uh, born and raised in Mexico City. Uh, I grew up, uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. I grew up in Mexico City. It's uh, you know, it's it's really a concrete jungle, Mexico City. It's, it's a crazy place. Yes, it is. And um, I, I I was born. Uh, well, I grew up with uh, just with my mom. Yeah. And uh, my father is uh, uh, of uh, he comes from Eastern Europe. He, he his family. Uh, they made it to Mexico at some point, you know, within the last, uh, I don't know, 60, 70 years or more. Mm-hmm. It's a few generations in Mexico and my mother's side, the same way, but they're from Spain and probably a couple, let's say like a hundred and something years in Mexico. Um, and so I grew up from my mom's side with a very, uh, um, Christian background and from my father's side, it really brought in the the Jewish background, wow. and so um, I grew up in Mexico City. And on top of that, I I went to a French school, so I studied everything in French. Yeah, <laughs> very straight. Don't ask me why, but I went to yeah. a French school. Yeah, uh, it was a great school, uh, but it just yeah, it just makes things even more complex, right? And mm-hmm. then when I when I finished high school, at that point I wasn't graduated from high school, but I finished high school. Um, then my mother somehow uh, presented to me like this opportunity of flying to Israel and being there for like six months, just, uh, mm-hmm. and I was, you know, I was a prick, you know, like when you're a teenager, you're, you're horrible. <laughs> and, uh, I was okay. like, what do you mean? I'm going to go to Israel. Like, what am I going to do there? She's like, oh, you can, you can study the language. You can, uh, work in, in, in farming and agriculture. And I was like, what do you think I'm going to work and study at the same time? Like, why would I do that to myself? Right. <laughs> But somehow, <laughs> someone convinced me that that was a good move, and and I did it. And then I went, and 
it turns out, you know, like many things in life, you, you think you're getting into something. It's something completely different. Yeah. And it turned out to be the best time of my life because it was like adult vacation, really. You know, it's just, you know, a bunch of people from all over the world. And I'm like studying the language really like two hours a day, just showing uh, paper at each other in the classroom and yeah. uh, working in agriculture, which is great. Working in the field, you know, I, I, I love yeah. doing things uh, physical with my hands. And yeah. then at some point, after a few months, I met someone. I'll never forget it. I, I don't remember the guy's name, but I met this guy and he was in the military in Israel. He was an American who had moved to Israel, lived in Israel, and he was doing the, his military service. And he came back home from his service and he had the, you know, his uniform and everything. I was like, wow, like that's, that looks really cool. Yeah. And he's like telling me, yeah, you should do it, man. And, and if you're like, if you, if you become the, um, the machine gunner in your team, they told me, they're going to give you this machine gun. It's called the Negev. It's like mm-hmm. a light machine gun. And you'll have a laser and you'll have night vision. It's just so fucking cool. And I was like, <laughs> my mind was like whoa. Like, like, whoa. Like, like, yeah, like, it. yeah. That's that's not a bad idea, right? And then, yeah, What uh, could go wrong? This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's how impressionable you are when you're a kid, right? Like just Seriously, yeah. man. I think like, video games probably made me join the dang Marine Corps. Half, half of it was just video games. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was some, and, and you need to be lucky because sometimes it can turn great. Like in your case, in my case, and some other yeah. times, you know, uh, bad influences can lead you to, to a really bad path. Oh, yeah. But, um, <clears throat> and so I went uh, and really started thinking about it seriously at that point. Uh, and I joined the IDF eventually. I, I It wasn't just because they told me I would get a machine gun. I have to make a point about that. Mm-hmm. I, I really made a distinction. And I know you, you we might want to talk about, you know, people who want to join the military or want to get into this industry through this career. Um, like you have to find something that's bigger than you because mm-hmm. it's otherwise you, you just don't make it through the hard times if you're not doing it for something bigger than you, in my opinion. All right. That's, that's what I think. Right. Uh, but I, like I said, I grew up from my father's side, the Jewish side, and um, I learned about the uh, Holocaust and all of these uh, bad things. And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to do my part to make sure that doesn't happen again. At that point uh, in my life, that was uh, what, you know, what justified me going into a military risk in my life, which is a serious yeah. thing. You know, you have to do it for something bigger than just the adventure, I think. Yeah. And like you say, you're a protector, though. So that's a real reason to do things, which also became my my drive later on in my career because uh, uh, things a little bit changed in my mind. Yeah. But, um, so that led me to joining the military, and I went into the infantry. I was in a regular infantry unit for about um, a year and four months, or something like that. And, um, that was, a that was a cool experience, you know, turn, you know, be, become from like a kid, a boy in high school to, uh, to being a soldier. Mm-hmm. Uh, after that, um, the, I, I was about to get out. I, I mean, I was getting out of the military already. I, I didn't have to serve any longer, very short, but, um, there was the second Lebanon war that happened. Uh, this was 2006. And I had a friend of mine who drafted with me to the infantry and then I was out. I was already like processing, getting out of the military and he was still in. And then the war broke out and I'm like trying to, to go back with reserves, trying to do all this like 
uh, you know, bureaucracy, whatever. Yeah. And Israel is the land of bureaucracy, right? But um, <laughs> and then my friend, uh, well, he 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 died in in battle uh, over there, and and um, I don't know, something right. hit me about it. You know, like you feel, hey, I wasn't there, right? Like I yeah. we drafted together for the same reason. Like we were pretty much brothers at that point, just because of that. Even mm -hmm. we were friends. And then he died in battle and I just wasn't there with him. I wasn't there with other people that, that fought. And so I felt like, like I, I felt guilty Yeah. and I felt, you know what, that's, I just didn't do what I had to do. And, and I processed getting back into the military nice. and, um, it took me a long time to be able to again, fight the bureaucracy now getting, going back. Yeah. Uh, and eventually I was able to draft uh, back into the military again and, I went for, I wanted to go for special forces and I was able to do the, the special forces battalion of the same uh, brigade that I was in, uh, mm -hmm. which is uh, a unit that's, um, it sort of has some like a recon battalion elements and it has some elements like from like a ranger regiment unit because it has some, some counter terror capabilities. Uh, nice. But I would say it's a second or, or, or third tier uh, special operations unit, uh, mm -hmm. but it was a great place. And um, I went through very hard training at that point. Like I thought just passing selection would have been the hardest thing. And it turned out it wasn't like just uh, doing, I had another uh, nine months of, uh, of training and the whole thing is really like a selection course because you can be kicked out at any point. Yeah, uh, It was very hard for me because I was still, uh, young in my mind, I, I didn't have a, a network of support. Um, mm -hmm. I was an immigrant, still didn't speak the language well. Like all of this I'm doing, you know, when I talk a, a language, I talk it, you know, I half-assed that language. I, I don't, uh, yeah. I'm not fluent completely. Uh, I'm not fluent with the culture or anything. And I'm doing something very hard because at that point, well, like, you know how we always say, hey, in my time it was like this and now it's like much easier, much easier, much easier. Well, it's always like that. It's always like that. Everybody, man, Everybody when I was like in, yeah, exactly, to, exactly. Know, butt naked uphill both ways. <laughs> you had to, to spit your bullets out your mouth at the targets, you know. Like <laughs> yeah, man, that's right. But uh, some of the things I think were were challenging, even by by you know old school standards. Um, yeah. At that at that point, the Israeli military didn't have all the. There wasn't so much. Um, Safety precautions or? Well, there are still aren't that many, but uh, the, <laughs> at that point, there wasn't a lot of like check, like checking, right? There wasn't so much supervision about things. So right. uh, there was a lot of abuse, really. Like some of the <laughs> training I did hand-to-hand -hand combat, imagine like I would be like, we'd be super tired navigating, you know, the whole week, yeah. I don't know, uh, something like uh, 30 miles a day. And then, you know, with 40% with of your weight on your back, eating just a tuna can a day, you're trying to like sleep like in, in the floor yeah. and your your hand-to-hand -hand combat instructor comes and just chokes you in the middle of the night. It's like seven <laughs> minutes, you're ready for Krav Maga, everybody. And you're like running and then you start the kind of just kicking you in the ribs. Yeah. And they're like yeah. just punching you in the stomach and yeah, they you put your hands behind your, your back and just like absorb the knees and absorb the punches. <laughs> and it was brutal. It was horrible. It was horrible. And hazing. Like, it's some good hazing, man. Get you ready. It was for, horrible, man. They, they, made you, war. they made you run into a room that's all yeah. dark and, and there would be like uh, other instructors just beating you up with sticks and shit. It was horrible. 
<laughs> yeah, man, I, I, I understand. Well, because now everything, you know, everything's yeah. so like Mothers of America oh, got yeah. in, and oh, like yeah. everything's so like um, Nerf. <laughs> it's Nerf everything, you know? Yeah, but yeah. back then, there was You're no Nerf, right. nothing. It was like yeah, man law. Yeah. Now it's like uh, the, my sergeant offended me, and now uh, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> but now, but yeah, and you're right. Uh, by the way, the Israeli military, one of its biggest Achilles uh, tendons is, is the mothers. The mothers of the soldiers just really make it like crazy and, and, and like softer. Yeah. And Israeli mothers, they're, they're very like, they have no shame of anything. Yeah. There's no boundaries. So they'll call the, the, the platoon commander, they'll call the brigade commander and they'll be like, and I know, and, and they know someone who knows him. Like, it's just impossible. Because Israel's small too, man. It's very small, very small. Everybody knows everybody's stuff. Yeah, man. Absolutely. And oh, um, man. yeah, but it was very brutal in that sense. Um, <laughs> and obviously, you know, well, everybody can achieve that, but uh, it was hard. There was also the element of selection in the team. So, you know, you don't know if you're going to finish. Not everybody finished. A lot of people were kicked out. A lot yeah. of people were injured. And all right, so I got through that. And then we had uh, combat operations, uh, which were also by today's standard, what's happening in Israel. It turns out that it was like some of the things we were doing were crazy. Yeah. Um, not, I'm not comparing it to the rest of the world, but to what's happening today in the West Bank, in Gaza, like some of the things we were doing at that time, this is 2007, 2008. It was the end of the, what they call the second intifada period in Israel. There was a lot of action. And so we had IEDs in towns that you had to be aware of. Um, there was a lot of uh, armed uh, militants. You had like firefights with, in the North, there was engagements with Hezbollah, with the rockets and, and mines and mortars and like uh, hijacking operations from their part, like you name it. There was really a lot of everything. Mm -hmm. uh, and we would do a lot of really crazy stuff. Cause uh, for example, I remember some of the best uh, uh, missions that we had in my opinion were a thing that was called like an, like, um, an urban ambush, we called it. Okay. So we would um, sneak into a town, like in the middle of the night, we, we would, you know, like, walk like really quiet and like we yeah. like make sure that all our clothes smell like smoke or we'll bring like a some some meat traps for dogs so they wouldn't like bark too much yeah um and then sneak into like a town by teams into certain mm -hmm. corners of the town the towns yeah. at night in the west bank they're empty they're like unless it's a very big town uh, they're usually, the streets are completely empty and quiet because mm -hmm. it's not a, they're not nice places. Mm -hmm. And the only people that go out at night are, are people who want to, who want to fight, you know, they want to yeah. shoot firefights. And so we would wait in corners, just quietly wait in corners, like in the dark with night vision. And if, if someone armed is walking around, you know, and sometimes they go and shoot in the air or they just walk around arm, uh, with their AK-47s like that. Then we just take them out like on an ambush. You know? It'd be like mm -hmm. uh, seven, four, two, boom. Uh, all three team members uh, shooting at the same time. And yeah. um, and that was pretty cool because it's um, like, I remember, uh, you know, in my head, you know, parts where I'm like standing outside of like a house. Yeah. I can hear, I can hear the TV in the living room on the other side of the window. Yeah. And I'm on the other side, like just with my machine gun and my night vision, waiting for someone to pass in the, in the corner, right? Um, and and yeah, uh, some a lot of uh, stuff happened on those missions. And it was it was great. 
uh, we had the in that unit the classic type of mission. Uh, there's a lot of uh, captures of uh, you know wanted the uh, uh, militants and things Artists. like that. And the classic mission is to navigate like I don't know uh, five miles or more uh, through a farm area into that urban area, and then mm -hmm. uh, you know run to like a house surrounded, grab a person, then the cars would come, pick you up, and you would go. That's the classic yeah. uh, operation uh, in that type of unit. Yeah. It's type of like that. It, it's not exactly a snatch and grab in, the, in that term, like the way you, you, you think about it, because we were like all geared up. It's more like yeah. trying to get there uh, by using uh, infantry tactics, like walking quietly, uh, where are you walking through, stealth moving and things like that, and then trying to yeah. capture a target. But that type of operation, that type of unit can't reach um, a very, uh, I would say, they can't reach very deeply and they can't reach also very high value targets because mm. they are also sometimes very, very aware. So, you know, even at that time you had lookouts and roofs, even at that time you have people who just have cameras that make noise the minute someone's like walking outside of their door. And, um, and so those, those type of targets, uh, require different tactics, which I was able to, to, uh, to take part of uh, afterwards in one of the, one of the last unit I served in, which is, uh, specializing in, in that low visibility, reaching targets like in complete stealth uh, in the craziest areas that you can uh, think of in the middle of the day too. But uh, after that oh. service of about another two years, then I, I decided I, I had to study. I promised my mom I had to get a degree. Okay. And uh, <laughs> well, here comes the not fun part. <laughs> Maybe you liked it. <laughs> Well, I, not the studying. I mean, I, I like challenges, but uh, I feel like school uh, today is not what our parents thought it was. Like they yeah. thought it was like super important back in the day. And yeah, sure. I mean, it's uh, there's a few things that I learned there mm -hmm. in college, not in high school, certainly not in the rest of my education. But um, it was uh, it was fun, you know, to be with people. You meet a bunch of uh, guys and girls your your age, and you have fun, and it's like you know, it's nice. But at the same time, I, I got a job in uh, protection. So I transitioned already to my first uh, work in security, uh, federal security, which was uh, I was an airport marshal. So I was in the mm -hmm. airport uh, working plain clothes. And it was sort of like, a, you know, protection against terrorism threats to the Israeli airport, which is probably the one of the most um, threatened airports in the world. Yeah. Um, and so I did that job for about three years. It was very interesting, really, to be exposed to the airline industry security and to uh, that type of high-end security units. Yeah. Uh, I did that for about three years as, as I was studying. Uh, and then um, I moved to uh, close protection, executive protection. And I, at that point, I drafted back into the IDF. So this was the job I was doing was in the... A security division of the uh, security agency of Israel, something like between like an FBI to a secret service type of organization. Nice. And um, and this and then I moved back to the IDF to the Israel Defense Forces. The Army um, uh, has a unit that's in charge of close protection for the chief of staff and uh, and you know other high-ranking generals and delegations. And, and in that unit, I was, uh, I was the primary for uh, the chief of staff and 
the previous chief of staff who was also still protected by us and delegations abroad and generals going on like, you know, secret meetings to other countries and things like that. Uh, and so that was really cool uh, to get exposed to that. After that, I was offered to be an instructor for the school that teaches all of these security units and some of the special units of the IDF. Um, it's kind of like a combat school, a combat and security academy. That's called the mm-hmm. uh, Arazim. And that school is very um, respected in Israel. It's, it's really the best uh, combat school in the country. And I think it's a very good school also worldwide. I'm not obviously, expo- I haven't been exposed to all the, the options, but from what I've seen, they have a pretty good standing. Um, it's a very professional school. It takes things very seriously. There's a lot of research behind things, testing, um, and they take the, the profession of teaching very seriously, which is something that not a lot of people do or they don't see the value in it um and so i was there for another four years which uh, as an instructor i was also able to uh, work part-time as an air marshal and work also part-time as part of the counter assault team uh, of the dignitary protection unit nice and you know i was teaching all the dignitary protection agents their courses their qualifications their refreshers and i would uh, you know once a week or twice a week be part of that Counter assault team as a part time member, uh, which is a, a team that was created just uh, I don't know I would say about ten years ago, but it's very small and still in development. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, that was a cool thing to do. With that unit, I was able to deploy on on close protection assignments to Africa, to Europe, um, and uh, that was a great experience. But then at some point I was like, hey, security is, uh, is a dull uh, profession sometimes. It can be very challenging because it's messing with your mind constantly. The reason is that you don't see immediate feedback to what you're doing. Right. right? Like you, you, you don't know if, if a bad guy saw you and decided not to attack your, your principal. Oh, you don't, you yeah. don't know, if, uh, you know if things like that happen. You, you just are waiting. You're waiting. It's an ambush. It's a constant ambush. Yeah, and you're waiting to be ambushed. Yeah, and it's very challenging for your uh, readiness, right? You constantly have to to find new ways of staying ready and believing in the threat, because right. you might become very complacent of uh, what might actually happen. And that, but at that point, you're 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 more of a threat than a, than an advantage to your to the people you're protecting. Mm-hmm. But um, and I'm not saying I got to that point, but I I, I realized that. Uh, you know, I I was still young and able, and I said, you know, I want to get back into it. And I want to go back and bring hell to them, like just direct, direct action. Mm-hmm. I don't want to wait anymore. I want to go and do it. I mm-hmm. want to be the surprising element now. And I was able to um, to get into a unit uh, that is a very elite unit of the border patrol. So it's part of the of Israel's national police, but it's um, yeah. Sort of like a military element of the police. Uh, it's called the Border Patrol in Israel, and they don't really deal with borders. It's most like uh, like a military police type of thing, uh, not investigating the police. More of like a, a police element that has military capabilities, and they operate uh, mostly on areas like the West Bank, which has uh, um, you know elements that are uh, outside of uh, 
the the borders of Israel, and um, they deal with mostly uh, violent criminals and counterterrorism. And so, in this unit, I don't know if you have you seen the the show in Netflix called Fauda. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, this this uh, I mean, the show is entertaining. I don't know how good of a show it is, but I yeah. somewhat like it, and um, it's very exaggerated, obviously, it's like crazy, like. Yeah, they got you, man. That's how they make it entertaining. <laughs> yeah. But uh, this unit is based on, on, on uh, or, or this show is based on some of these units. So one like, like mine and, and another one that's the equivalent in the, in the IDF. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this unit's called uh, Yamas. It's um, low visibility. It's the specialty of the unit. So we use uh, like undercover tactics and uh, surveillance um, and intelligence gathering to reach high value targets. And these targets can be, uh, like I said, like very violent crime or they can be counter uh, terrorism uh, targets. So that's also a cool element because crime and terrorism, dealing with them is is a little bit different uh, in in many aspects. But some of the crime that we would deal with, uh, it, it could be someone who's like, you know, a very violent criminal, but it can also be someone who's just a criminal, but is in a very violent area that the police just can't reach. So, you know, it's like an area where you can't show up with a car that has uh, Israeli license plates and you certainly can't go with a policeman car of the of Israel because they'll just burn your car and they'll lynch you on the spot. Uh, so um, you have to resort to military tactics and using this type of units to get to, to a target and, and bring them to justice. You know, it could be... Uh, and we uh, captured all sorts of uh, individuals from uh, drug smugglers to weapon smugglers to rapists to just uh, uh, even a car, uh, like, like how do you say, hijacking cars or carjacking yeah, car rings, car thieves. Yeah, exactly. Things like that. But they're in areas where you just, you, the police can't reach them. So yeah, in order to bring just, you have to actually use like a, a military type of operation. Uh, wow. Because it's a very high risk area, and wow. uh, you know the risks that you have in those areas are, uh, yeah, at that depending on the times. But right now, they're shooting like someone can shoot at you, obviously from windows uh, inside of the, the houses or whatever. Uh, it can be uh, Molotov cocktails. It can be lynching. You know, if a, if a mob uh, like finds you and and is able to just um, stop you in your car or walking or whatever. Yeah. And it can just go to even the, the point of just like little kids or teenagers throwing rocks, which is obviously very... Uh, yeah. People don't realize yeah. how dangerous little kids throwing rocks can be in yeah. some of these countries. Yeah. These little kids got to throw some rocks, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and well, little kids, I mean, we, we don't deal with little kids or try to like arrest them or anything. Or, or if anything, if you, if you grab a little kid that was throwing a rock at you, you know, you hold him in the station, then his parents come and then take him. Yeah. But um, but people don't realize that throwing rocks is not like it's limited to that. Like people think of things beyond that, right? And so they go to the roofs and they have stacks of uh, cement blocks ready for you. And when you're passing, you just throw them on your head. Right. Yeah. Uh, I've had they've been doing that for years. All sort all sorts of appliances, mm-hmm. house appliances thrown at me from refrigerators to ovens to to coolers. And the be- but the best thing I had, right? The best one I had was uh, someone threw a donkey 
from Arufaros. Golly, man. These <laughs> dudes were determined. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Good that's the yeah, you almost have to give him some credit afterwards. Like you're like you're like, gee, yeah. <laughs> poor donkey, right. man. Poor donkey. Oh and, man, wow. yeah, poor donkey, <laughs> man. That and that's that's the urban environment, man. You know, like you're trying yeah. to stay close to the buildings, you're trying to stay safe, and people are throwing things off the thing. Kids start throwing rocks at you, and the next thing you know, you've got a mob you're dealing with, yeah. and you've got to make sure you and your guys can get in and out and out. It's very very challenging. Uh, in yeah. one of the operations we did in. Uh, City of the West Bank is called Kalandia. It's pretty, very dangerous place. We couldn't get out. We were in the middle of the day also for some mistake. Always officers always ruin everything. And mm -hmm. they planned it terribly. And, um, and we were like in the middle of the day trying to get out of that town with a target that we captured. Mm -hmm. And we couldn't, man. Like there's people like in every roof, like groups of 20, 15, uh, young men, you know, 15 to 25. Yeah, and just yeah. throwing everything they could at us, uh, shooting at us from corners. And we had to like fight our way out, uh, uh, you know, but with injured people. Like I had a friend uh, at home for eight months with like a really bad concussion on his head from mm -hmm. rocks, uh, from, from a big uh, rock. Uh, he he was lucky that he got back to normal after about eight months. But, you know, you can months, get wow. uh, you know, brain damage forever. Uh, people broke arms, broke legs uh, from stuff thrown at them. Um, wow. And the and, thing, uh, yeah, and from from shooting. Uh, well, fortunately, no one was hit from the shooting, but uh, yeah, it, it can get very dangerous. And so we had to shoot our way out. You actually yeah. have to shoot your way out to be able to leave the place. Uh, wow. So it's very hard in that sense. Another, um, like, I don't know if you want to talk about like missions, for example. Yeah, we can do uh, it. Uh, but uh, one really cool mission that I had was, um, <clears throat> and this is the thing uh, you'll see, well, a lot of people don't understand, like, what, what is the West Bank? What is Gaza? What is Israel? And so it is very complicated. Honestly, like, it took me a long time to even understand it myself. Mm -hmm. But we were doing a, a mission to capture some um, drug, um, uh, you know, like a drug... Um, some drug dealers, some mafia. Drug dealer, guys. mafia, yeah. weapon smuggler in a Palestinian town mm -hmm. uh, because he also, in addition to his profession, he had murdered other Palestinians in the town. Mm. So um, in that town, the, um, uh, the security, right, the, the element is in charge. Uh, uh, well, Israel is in charge of it. And so yeah. we were sent to capture this person and we decided to do that in the middle of the day. And so we used uh, undercover uh, cars to, to get as close as possible. Like just to understand some of these towns, you can't even drive a car in all the streets. Like there are certain yeah. streets where you can drive a car and they're packed with other cars. And then to get to the location of this individual, you can only do it by foot because the, the streets are very narrow alleys. There's no yeah. way you can reach in a car, maybe in a motorcycle, a small motorcycle, but it's also steps going down. They're also built in like the craziest hills and yeah. uh, you just can't reach anywhere, any, any other way. Uh, so mm -hmm. we decided to go with an undercover car all the way as close as we could. And then we sent a undercover elements to surround the house. Yeah. And the plan, the plan was that once they've surrounded the, 
or the location where he was, we would uh, release like a full gear team from uh, from a certain location, then just reach the house and uh, breach and, and reach our target. Uh, and so the undercover elements that went to surround the house go, were made because the alley is is very narrow, and anyone who walks in that alley is subject to um, you know to someone like checking you out. And so yeah. they check them out, and, and everyone they, in these towns knows who yeah, everyone is. Exactly. And the second you yeah. show up and you're and you and you're a combatant looking dude, they're like, yeah. okay, they're like, who is this dude? Where is he from? And what is he doing here? It's very hard yeah. to do undercover stuff, man. Super hard. Uh, and well, the thing is, like I said, this individual had just killed someone else in the town. So he has rivals. Mm, and so okay. what he, what the lookouts thought is that, um, the rivals were coming for him, probably. They, they thought someone from the rivals was coming to try to hit him. Mm. And so, um, I mean, allegedly that's what they thought. Okay. I, I, yeah. I can't really say what they thought because I, I seem like it. <laughs> I might affect the the investigation. Yeah, but that's what I think they thought. Yeah. Uh, but I think the uh, the the courts proved that they didn't think that that they were, okay. they know that these were policemen uh, and they decided to shoot at us. Okay. And so uh, as we're um, getting in position, you're getting yeah. The as they were ready. getting into position, suddenly like someone's like running, hey, they, someone's here, whatever, and then. This guy with his brother and his father just start shooting, start shooting at these guys and, and throwing like they had like buckets full of Molotov cocktails, really big ones. And they're just throwing that and shooting with pistols at the same time from the door, from it's like sort of like a balcony. Yeah. Uh, and it, you really couldn't access the front, the front of the property at all because it's a very narrow alley and they have the, the advantage of height. And also there's no other way of getting there. Yeah. So these guys were pinned also in like around the area because they couldn't move back, they couldn't move forward, and they couldn't move anywhere. Wow. And one of them, one of them was like shot. Um, yeah. Uh, well, the bullet just scraped him. Like it scraped his arm. Unfortunately, yeah. he he wasn't really injured. Another one got a Molotov cocktail on him that like burned. He was able to like uh, put it out uh, pretty quickly. Fortunately. Yeah. And, and so one of them hid inside of another house that was open right in front. The other uh, moved to a corner a few yards away. And at this point also, they're, they're calling us on the radio because I was on the, on, the, on the full gear team mm-hmm. waiting like somewhere to just pop out and, and come right with the, like, the cavalry. Yeah. Right? Like full gear, like shields and everything. And, um, and, but we're not getting the calls because there's no reception there because of the, the geography of Topography. the Topography, yeah. And uh, but eventually we get the the, the idea. We, we start running to uh, to the location, and and I'm just hearing like you know shots. You know everyone's shooting. There's a shootout. And I don't know what the hell's happening. We reach a corner. We see two of the these the, our undercover team, and they're like, "Hey, there's they're shooting from here. They're shooting from here." And and this guy is is trapped. One of our guys is trapped somewhere. And so I get to a corner, and they're shooting, and. It went through my mind, like, what the fuck am I doing, right? Why would I turn the corner? Yeah. Uh, but uh, very fast, I also answered myself, well, that's what I need. That, that's my job. Like, I have yeah. to turn that corner. And, uh, and you know, as a protector, you understand how, um, it's, how unnatural that is to most people. Right. Because like, when there's I, gender... Like, am I really going to go into this house right now? Like, am I really... Yeah. Good? yeah, and it's like, but this is who I am. Like, this is why I'm here. This is... Yeah. This is who I am is what I train for. Exactly. And you have to go. 
That's yeah. what you signed up for, and that's what you're committed to do. And if you don't like that, then you're in the wrong profession. Yeah. Uh, but um, uh, so yeah, so we turn the corner, we start shooting back, and clearly we can't reach uh, that place safely. And then you know uh, we understand after a few moments that we're going to have to reach also a high position if we want to be able to engage this guy mm-hmm. because we can't do it from the alley. Yeah. And so I'm I'm a breacher. Nice. And I have my breaching. We use hydraulic breaching for most of the missions in, in, in these type of areas. The doors, they're not wooden doors. They're mostly metallic, like big, heavy, iron, metallic doors. Yeah. And so you you can't just like do that swinging thing that they do here in America. It's not going to work. Yeah. So you have to use like a hydraulic uh, breaching kit that basically opens and just breaks the door. Yeah. So I'm there. They're like, "Hey, breach this door in the, the a building next to this, so so we can go up and, and like shoot back." And I come to breach this door, and the stupid machine's not working. Like it has a malfunction, right? Of course so it like, does. We're shooting at us. This thing doesn't yeah. work. I'm like, yeah. "Fuck!" And then my friend, who's the breacher number two in that mission, I'm like, "Dude, you have to fix this malfunction." So he has to like open like this bag and like find a button, and I have to like press the button at the same time. I don't remember the the thing. It's like whatever, <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> We were able to fix it, and by then, like someone else had been able to, like, just there was an open building where they just were able to 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 go yeah, up and uh, and shoot back at uh, at, at these guys, and, and so they hit the brother, uh, non fatal by the way, wound like he was hit like in the shoulder and the arm, and then like they just like realized, uh, hey, these guys like there there's a bunch of guys and they're armed. Apparently, they didn't understand that until then. And mm-hmm. they decided to surrender. So they're like, no, don't shoot, don't shoot anymore. And, and they just uh, surrender. We were able to like bring them out of the house, the two of them. Basically, we made them strip. We made everything you want just to make sure they didn't have any concealed weapons or explosives or whatever. Yep. Uh, put them in handcuffs. And then we went through um, just, you know, a secondary search of the, the property and, and everything around. And then getting out of the town uh, at this point, because of the what happened, so we already have like a, you know drones above us, like looking, telling us what's happening. Like the entire, pretty much border patrol of uh, that area came, and it's like security. So it's an easy getting out. But yeah, um, but that was a that was a cool mission. I think there's a lot of elements there that uh, mattered to me, like mm-hmm. uh, planning. You yeah. know, possibly we didn't plan it well. If uh, if this guy was. Um, uh, thinking that someone might come and kill him, then he's ready, right? Then maybe we should. We shouldn't have approached him on an undercover way where right. yeah. someone might be confused. Uh, another thing is maybe doing it in the middle of the day wasn't the right choice, even though these guys at night, they know that someone might come get them. So they move from, from location to location. It's very hard to do. But as you know, if there's money, if there's uh, resources, you, you can find these people, right? So it's just, yep. again, officers ruin everything. <laughs> and then... Uh, um, Human element, man. Another thing is the your gear, right? Your equipment, yeah. like, do uh, um, you take care of your equipment? And I take care of my equipment, but that day someone else checked my equipment and not me, and they fucked it up. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a big one. <laughs> and you then you your own load out. Do you know how to fix your equipment yeah. on the spot? And uh, you know, if it's not working, then you have to take, a, you have to breathe. And think of a solution, right? Like not everybody is going to think right away. Even as obvious as it seems, yeah, you have to get to high ground. It's not that obvious when someone's shooting at you. So you right. have to be able to remain calm, breathe, and then think of a solution. 
And another thing I saw was when we were doing the secondary search, they, they brought like other units to assist us. So they brought like this uh, canine uh, police officer unit from the border guard, mm -hmm. not, not, not part of our unit. Uh, and they were like with us in the bridge. And I was like in a place, I'm, I'm, I'm searching this place where someone just shot and threw shit at me. And yeah. I look at this guy and he's like looking at his messages on his phone. I'm sorry, what? Like, like that just shows you the focus, right? And the, the, the mindset in which you can take things and, and how it differs within units and levels, right? And, yeah. and so you can, we can see that also even at the, you know, whatever level, how, how important that can be. Yeah, man. I mean, uh, yeah, man. That's uh, about my service pretty much. I was an instructor of defensive tactics because I have a martial arts background uh, and also firearms instructor. And now I decided, hey, that's a, that's enough. I want to take it easy more. I want to improve my my life quality. Mm -hmm. And I had an opportunity to come to America and work for Tactical Fitness Austin. And so I've been here for about five, almost six months in Texas. And, uh, you know, teaching primarily firearms, uh, Krav Maga, um, doing a security consulting as well for different companies. Yeah. And I love it, man. I love the United States. I love Texas. And I love the you know, everything, every privilege and freedom and rights that, that Americans have. It's so amazing that mm -hmm. some Americans have even forgotten how great that is. And that yeah, is sad. Man. Yeah. It's like rich kids, man. They don't know yeah. how good they got yeah. it. They just exactly, never see man. the world. 6% of Americans have passports and they're moaning about America. I'm like, if you don't have a passport, you don't get to say anything about how yeah. good or bad the yeah, country is. Yeah, you don't, man. Like, you, you haven't have experienced no, no awareness. It, yeah. You know, People, uh, you, you, the worst thing is when you don't know what you don't know. That's the worst yeah. type of not knowing. Yes. Yeah, that is the worst. kind. And then the second worst thing is when you think you know, but oh. you don't know. When you think you know <laughs> something that's wrong, that's the worst. Yeah. That's like, okay, yeah. now I'm going to try to, you know, fight your that's ego horrible. and educate you and stuff. Yeah. yeah, man. No, that's good stuff, man. No, thanks for those stories. And you definitely dropped some really important things, man. The calmest fighter is the best fighter, you know? The yeah. guy that's able to think no matter what's going on, stay yeah. non-emotional, stay focused, uh, and prioritize and execute, man. This is what helps mm -hmm. you survive, whether it's a freaking fist fight in an alleyway and you're, you know, and you're grappling or it's a tactical gunfight where they're maneuvering on you. You're better be maneuvering on them. And yeah. you've got to be thinking, man. This is the ultimate weapon up here. Man. Yeah. I love that yeah. stuff. Um, it's, it's part of everything. Yeah, man. What would you say? Um, I heard you mention Krav. This is like totally off script, but what would you say about Krav Maga and its effectiveness in 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 physical combat? I know yeah. some guys, you know, uh, like the jujitsu guys who I love, yeah. they're always like, it's theoretical, man. They're yeah. like, if you can't practice it at speed, whatever, you know. Right, right, right. What do yeah. you think well, about that? I, I think uh, you do a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. I I train jujitsu too, by the way. I, right. I think jujitsu yeah. is great. Um, yeah. Uh, but um, like everything, you know, it's not black or white. It's gray. Yeah, and, nothing's a uh, full answer. <laughs> yeah, nothing's full answer. But I'll tell you something. Um, this is a really interesting subject because Krav Maga uh, could have been great, all right, or was great at some point, and right now it's struggling. Mm. The reason it's struggling is because it's been commodified, and so money starts everything up. Man. Yeah, it just became a. a um, Moneymaker. It became a moneymaker. If you go to most Krav Maga gyms today, you're going to find soccer moms and, you know, IT specialists 
Uh, there's nothing wrong with soccer moms or IT specialists. I have a lot of respect for everybody. But the point of the matter is that when you walk to a boxing gym, yeah. things are a little bit different. You find different yep. type of people. And the people who come to Krav Maga gyms know this. And so, unfortunately, what I experienced teaching Krav Maga in the civilian sector mm-hmm. is that, <clears throat> sorry, a lot of people are looking for shortcuts. They're like, hey, boxing looks hard. It looks painful. Uh, jiu-jitsu looks hard. It looks painful. It's going right. to take me a long time to be good. But here's this Krav Maga where this instructor that's also a lot of really good instructors out there, but some not so good, um, is telling me that it's very easy and very fast. And in two hours, I'm going to learn how to defend myself. So where are they going to go? And what they lack there is, yeah. And what they lack there is the understanding that everything takes time and everything takes effort. And what you put in is what you get out. Right. Uh, and so people who go to traditional martial arts more, um, they tend to understand that better, right? There's a belt system. I don't really believe in belts so much, but there is a belt system which takes a long time to to climb in most gyms. And there's also, you know, uh, levels like uh, even in in if you're uh, an MMA fighter, you know, there's people who train in MMA, there's people who fight at an amateur level, there's people who get to professional level of fighting, uh, and obviously people who become uh, you know champions and, and legends. But all of that takes many years and, mo- and a lot of effort. Now, interestingly enough, uh, the Krav Maga comes as a mix of uh, a lot of martial arts, and it, it's, it is a good system. It has very good foundations to it. Um, but at some point, Krav Maga really dispersed, and uh, Krav Maga is whatever you make of it. So mm-hmm. I teach Krav Maga very different than what you will find in a gym, like, I don't know, Krav Maga, yeah. uh, you know, uh, whatever. I, I, I don't want to mention names, but... Uh, there's very few Kramaga gyms that I think are doing a really good job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have to, I mean, he, us at Tactical Fitness Austin, we're trying to make Kramaga great again. Right? That's yeah. how we see it. And we're trying to mix it in with, um, with real stuff. So we, we include grappling in it and we include ground survival. We also include entangled fighting uh, a curriculum and techniques. And we mix that in with just operational concealed carry uh, if it's a civilian and, you know, operational stuff uh, nice. and tactical stuff if you're a law enforcement or military. And I think that's the way to go. Martial arts, they, sorry, Krav Maga is not like a, a, a competition sport, certainly not, uh, but it has to be real, right? And then uh, right. what's happening is in a lot of these teams, you don't have resistance, you don't have a, um, intensity, and it, it's not legit. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's unfortunate. That's good feedback, man. That's good feedback. What would you say, you know, subject matter expert on anti-terrorist operations, all that stuff, but that hat on, what would you say about the American situation? Is there any, you know, considerations that here at home we should be aware of or anything you see forming, you know, out here that we should maybe pay attention to? Well, uh, yeah, I think... Um... There's a lot of issues uh, here, mostly domestically, because uh, there's a lack of loyalty towards the United States. A lot of people are like, uh, one. T- I was doing an event for another company one time in New York, and uh, mm-hmm. I was like, we were walking around with you, with American flags. Yeah. Someone came to me and was like, why are you walking around with an American flag in America? <laughs> I was really surprised by that question. Like, I, I, I mean, it's just crazy. Because we're in America. But, uh, 
all right, fine. Like I'm, I'm yeah. more, I'm a bigger patriot than a lot of Americans. Just most, so, a lot of immigrants are, man. Yeah. Like, like I'm from the Bahamas, <laughs> and I'm like sitting there, and I've seen the world a hundred times, and I'm like, guys, come on, man. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, they don't really like homegrown American, and they're like, it's so terrible, and you're oppressed because yeah. you're black. I'm like, no, I'm kind of like a successful entrepreneur, and you know, like, I, what are you talking about? You know, it's usually. Yeah. <laughs> dude hard work beats everything and uh Every you gotta it's take that into consideration and uh, but also you know be grateful for what we have here at the end of the day in america or even in israel we have great things and um we it. have to be grateful for that yeah and and you know what i really liked about a, a martial arts coach that i heard about is first of all he started every class saying respect respect for your country respect for your family respect for your fellow uh you know person that you're training with Respect yep. for the military, for whatever, everything. Like just respect. First of all, give and then try to take. But yes. my point is that things are going crazy here in the U.S. Like there's um, domestic threats to a yep. new level, and it's not only like you know the narrative is saying, oh, the you know uh, uh, white supremacist, uh, whatever. No, that's not true. Of course, there is that threat, but there's threat from both sides. Like I've oh, seen yeah. some really intense uh like Impressive. crazy uh, ideologies and and militia people from both sides yep. in my opinion mm-hmm. that's one threat yeah you have the threat of mobs here that are happening like protests go unhinged right if yeah. if it's a protest that that matches the narrative of the mainstream media it's going to go unhinged and you mm-hmm. need to know how to protect yourself and so what that's telling me uh, is that uh, terrorism is is also a concern here in America because it's going to become more and more of a target, right? Yep. And like uh, a lot of countries in the Middle East say, uh, America is the big Satan and Israel is the small Satan. That's how they call it. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, things are, are happening too as well. But I, I think uh, Americans need to up their resilience, okay? Mm. So what that means is you need to get training. You need to be aware and you need to become less soft. When yep. I look at college students here, like they're pathetic, man. I'm sorry. Yes, get them. That are, they're listening to me right now. Yeah. It, it's like, the I don't know. It's like, a glorified <laughs> kindergarten. That's what it is. That's exactly what it is with stupid uh, ideas. It's crazy, oh. man. It's insane. Like I can't stand college students. Yeah. And, uh, yep. and they're so soft and so weak. And like they need a trigger warning for everything. And they're yeah. like, uh, complain they need the uh you know to to get like a compensation because they were offended by a free speech like uh, it's some it's it's nonsense it's nonsense it's not real it's a and joke these kids like how can they hold a job i don't even know how these kids in college can hold a job how can they hold a relationship how could they have kids and and uh, you know I, it just doesn't make any sense i i feel like fortunately at some point maybe after college when they start working like you know things start to to like uh, become real yeah. for them, but at this point they're they're pathetic, and yeah. a lot of uh, things come from also the parents. They they're not they're not very resilient. Like, right. dude, you have to be resilient, and and unfortunately, this society today it's telling us you have to be very calm, you have to be very compliant, no aggression, Passive. everything is like just trust us. We're gonna take care of you, the government, and yeah. it's been proven that that's not true. Right, and you have to take care of yourself primarily. Okay. Right. Um, uh, you know, even more so, the the police here in the U.S. There's a lot of complaints against the police, but I'll tell you, I wish I had this type of police in Mexico. I just Yo, wish. that that would be a dream. 
Yeah, bro. Everyone. Like that's that that kills me when they're like the police are so corrupt. I'm like, have you ever been outside of the United States? Yeah, it's, everything's it's, for sale everywhere else. Almost, like, I've been robbed. Friends, I've been yeah. robbed by police. Yeah, <laughs> been robbed by police. They don't realize yeah, I know. that. Nothing. My Mexican is, friends are laughing yeah, at us. Yeah, and it's um. So so even now, you you we're defunding the police. We're um, making the police monsters, right? So, so people yeah. don't respect them anymore. Like, look at things in New York. Hey, I, I saw a show on Netflix the other day. Yeah. The whole narrative of the, the episode is that there's this guy who's a cop and he meets a girl and he's ashamed of telling the girl that he's a cop. That this is a show on Netflix. That's the narrative of the show. I saw that. I, well, I saw another one. It was like a black guy and he was like, I'm a cop. And then his girlfriend didn't want to be with him because he was a cop. And I yeah. was like, the whole episode like, is about that. Like, yeah. what the hell is going on in this, in this world? Like, what is wrong with you? He should be proud of being a cop and everybody should respect him for that. Are they bad cops? Of course, they're bad cops. There are bad people and good people everywhere. But, in every race and culture in the world. But people in America don't understand what it is to not being able to rely on someone answering the call and coming. Because when something happens to me in Mexico, I don't call the cops because they're not going to come. They're going to show up or they'll show up. Let's say someone broke into my house. Yeah. And I call the cops and I don't know, something happened, whatever in my house. When the shops, when the cops show up to my house, I have to stay on top of them or they'll steal things from my house. <laughs> so I'm not going to call the cops. I just I'm not going to call the police. I don't want anything right. to do with the police in Mexico because they're not helping. They're, they're another threat factor. Yeah, so with all of guy. this happening, with all of this happening, are you uh, aware of your own security? Do you train? Do you get yourself out? of? You, are you able to protect yourself and your loved ones? And that's what right. I think. Uh, makes a difference. Hey, look at this guy in a church, right? About a year ago, there was a, 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 an active shooter shows up at a church, wants to shoot everyone up. And this old guy stands up, takes out his gun and takes a headshot at like 25 yards under pressure with his yeah. whole community looking at him. That's yeah. a hero. And that's what you need to do if you're an American. You need to prepare yourself. Hey, if not for something like that, for something in that direction, like be able yeah. to protect yourself and your loved ones because that is the truth. That is the reality. And that's where yes. I come in. Call me for training or call Byron for training. Yeah. And let's make it happen. All right? 100% because you're only as good as what you can protect. Your only protection is yeah. the one skill that gives you the ability to maintain and keep and enjoy the things you love in your life. It's like an yeah. insurance policy. You've got to, it's a human right. You have to be able to do it. And it's not enough just to be good and to be nice. You have to also be able to protect. Otherwise, you're a good yeah. victim. You know, it's, so it's like uh, Jordan uh, Peterson said, right? Like, yeah, uh, be a monster, but learn how to control it. Yeah, that's the best way. Or, or that Chinese thing that says that it's better to be a, a warrior in a in garden a than a gardener in a war. hundred <laughs> percent, man. No, I love that stuff. It's the truth. Let's see here. Uh, CQB, man, you've done a lot of CQB, CQC. If you were going to give someone like a tip uh, about moving in an urban, in, a, in inside of a building, just a quick tip on that. What would you say? Inside of a building. Well, um, here's the thing. Like, first of all, there's a lot of, uh, things that like, you need a reality check in terms of moving inside of a building because yeah. a lot of things, let me put it to you this way. The best unit in the world, Delta force, in my yeah. opinion, when they're coming to do CQB in a house, they have a thing that's called the surprise element. Yeah. A huge surprise selling. They're they're able to get to your door and you don't even know they're there. Okay. Yeah. Um, this do, is big. Have that, do we have that advantage? If I'm running into a house and doing something like that, I don't. 
Yeah. So I have to understand that and um, and move in a very, very deliberate and protected manner. Um, right. I have to understand my, my abilities and my inabilities. Uh, I was one time, there was a... Um, it was a terrorist attack in Tel Aviv. Like some guy just like, took out a machine gun and started shooting at restaurants yeah. and, and ran away. And everyone in Tel Aviv was looking for this terrorist. Like we were out in the streets, like anyone who was military or law enforcement or had a gun was in the streets running around with a gun. I love that about Israel, man. Yeah, I, wish, I want to see the same thing in America to as an extent. I want <laughs> yeah. Americans to be proactive about security. Something happens in Israel, like white blood cells, like people start <laughs> converging. You know? Yeah, that is true. That is true. That is, that is an advantage there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, but I'm saying like, Hey, are you, are you, are you ready? For example, even, you know, there's, uh, even carrying a light is a big uh, decision. Yeah. Do you need a night in, in the middle of the day? You might, if you walk yeah. into a building that's dark, has no lights or whatever, you're going to need a light. Yeah, exactly. So some people don't even realize that in your EDC, in your carry, have you ever, uh, you know, um, breached a room by yourself right when you don't know if really there's someone the fact that you you're not sure that there is someone waiting for you with a gun on the other side makes things so much different than just training training on paper it's just so different and you're not just gonna run inside of the room because you're not suicidal like unless you you are but uh uh, we have to really make reality checks before we even realize that are you keeping your your local surprise like Maybe the person knows you're in the building, but do they know you're in that door right now about to close to, to open that corner? Uh, if you're using a light, are you, are you giving away your position every time you use the light? Um, yeah, when I see I, movies in Hollywood where they're like walking around with their flashlight on yeah. and they're just like walking Perfect. through the building, yeah. I'm like this guy. <laughs> I'm like somebody didn't, oh my gosh, you're going to die, bro. You're going to yeah, die. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> And uh, that just makes it so much more complicated, you know, like mm. even the decision, do I go into this building or not? Yeah. But uh, if you don't have to go into this building, you really have that choice. If you're someone who has to do it and you're alone, you have to do things. Uh, wow. It's, it's really, really crazy. Uh, but yeah. And, and then there's different techniques, right? Like what do you use? Are you going to clear? Uh, are you going to rely on the doorframe to clear the majority of the room from outside of the room? Or are you not going to rely on the doorframe? You're just going to burst into the room, mm-hmm. try to surprise. Uh, and again, is your surprise element there or not? Uh, how many rounds do you even shoot if you engage a target inside of a room, right? Like all of mm-hmm. this matters. Like what is the room made of? Am I going right. to have a crazy smoke and debris just flying all over and can't see anything? Am I dealing with sheep? How do I, uh, yeah. How do I approach someone who's a friendly or not? Or maybe it's just a suspect. There's there's so many considerations. Uh, if I have to deal with someone injured, like where do I do that? Like how do I find a a, a location that is the that's that is more secure uh, vantage points? Uh, you know how do I work myself on 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 a, on a staircase? Mm-hmm. How do I uh, go around the uh, you know even getting to to the house the location? Like am I even doing that properly? Working in urban terrain terrain in between buildings. To reach yeah. that location, um, so it's very complicated. I don't know if I gave a few tips that you think. Is no, you definitely did, but, man. Uh, I think. I think, I think it's a very complicated biggest, subject. Yeah, it is an extremely complicated subject. There's a whole nother skill set above shooting. So just because you're shooting at the range does not mean you have any kind of IQ when it comes to close quarters movement. Um, I think what you said that was really good is the um, reality of like. 
your capabilities and how dangerous it really is. You know, like, I mean, if you yeah. can probably just hunker down in a hard point and wait for the, if you're in an office space and someone goes active, you know, knowing when to hide, when to fight, when to run. But um, the reality I think you said is it is not like the movies. You have to really understand what your capabilities are. It's something you should train rather than think you can do because you carry a gun, <laughs> you know, because yeah, uh, it's a whole nother skill set. Um, that's really, really uh, sophisticated, extremely sophisticated. I had another really good, oh, oh, oh tactical fitness, man. What yeah. would you say is, are the most important components to that? Uh, well, I think there are, um, the main components are, first of all, your conditioning of the body and mind, right? Am yeah. I physically able to do things that I'm going to need to do? And I'm also, am I mentally able to understand the things I'm going to have to do? right? It's my awareness. It's also my ability to perform violence. Like we said, people are not uh, uh, trained to perform violence. Like even like, you know, hitting someone hard is, is, is a task that's very hard for some people because they can't turn that aggression on. Yep. We're made to like really not be aggressive. Mm -hmm. If you're a, a kid in school and you show signs of some aggression, I don't know, you grab a toy from someone really hard, they're going to call your parents. Right. So how are you going to react when a bad guy is in front of you and you have to like go turn yourself into a monster? Mm -hmm. So physical and mental conditioning, I think, is the base. From there, going to the firearms training and going to the hand-to-hand -hand combat training. Right. You so that's, the, that's that a triangle coach. that I think makes sense. Yeah, and, man. Um, and, and part of that mental uh, conditioning, too, is even understanding laws, understanding what you're able, when and how. That's also yeah. part of it. You have to be educated on that. You have to be educated on, on violence. Uh, you have to be educated on security awareness and, uh, you know, uh, prevention. Because at the end, security, personal or close protection or any type of security is about prevention rather mm -hmm. than having to mitigate the threat. 100%. Um, so uh, that's, that's the triangle that I think. Mental, hand-to-hand, yeah. -hand, and firearms. Mental and physical. Mm -hmm. No, and I think you're you're right. There's a distinct, distinct advantage that we see when you have someone who's acquainted with violence versus yeah. like a civilian or someone who isn't acquainted with violence. Maybe that just has some training and has been doing like the boxes classes, the UFC gym or something. But that that just they don't even have to be right with the yeah. tactic they're trying to force on the other opponent. If yeah. they can achieve a higher threshold of violence quicker it's bad for the other person no matter what ninja moves they know yeah. um that is a very huge advantage so train go get punched in the face do hard things yeah. you will get harder to kill you will get harder yeah. and there's a lot to be said for that what would you say is the hardest lesson you've learned in the field i i think the hardest lesson is that you you can't rely on anyone else for your own safety and success Mm. So safety may be pretty obvious. Like, like, hey, I don't care that this guy said that he checked something. Like, okay, unless it's someone I really trust, like my brother that trains with me, does everything with me. But even then, like things might go wrong. Uh, right. But I can't trust an officer that sent me to do something. Uh, maybe I should think about it. Maybe he's right. But hey, give it a little thought. Like, don't just take everything for granted, right? Yeah. Um, the fact that, I don't know, uh, someone tells me something like I have to look into it for myself to make sure that I come back home uh, to my family. And yeah. the other thing is more on like a career wise, no one cares about you. Like if you want to achieve things, 
you have to like uh, make sure they happen. And, um, you know, if you're relying on your boss or your commander sending you to do this course, I don't think it's going to happen like that. It's not going to happen. They don't have a list saying, hey, he deserves this now. It's very hard. If you find an officer like that, stick with him, okay? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's not, that's not going to happen often. So you have to really make sure things happen because no one cares about you. Yeah, 100%, man. Your mommy's the only one that cares you, love you <laughs> unconditionally, and she can't help you. So, yeah. you know, your life is up to you, man. That's 100% good advice. Um, but also, and- consequently, you have to realize that it's not about you. Like, when, yeah. I, when I'm in the military, in law enforcement, like, hey, I can complain about everything, but I'm not here for me to be 100% happy about everything. I have to find that balance. Like, I came here to give. I came yeah. here to put myself in shitty, dangerous, annoying situations for the sake of protecting other people that can't do it themselves. Yeah, 100%. It's not about you. That's huge too, man. And that's the spirit of a protector. That's actually the spirit of a, a true warrior, especially as you, we study warriors from the beginning. The word samurai means servant, man. We are mm-hmm. some of the highest order of servants, in my opinion. That, you know, great, as warriors, this is putting your life on the, no greater love than this, that a man would lay his life down for another. Um, what's your proudest moment in the field, man? Well, I, I think, um, I had a lot of really good moments, obviously achieving things like finishing uh, training or, or getting, you know, qualified to be part of a, a unit is, is great. But I think there's no, there was no greater achievement for, for me than uh, capturing someone who did some really bad things, for example, or yeah. taking someone, uh, uh, even as a team, like you don't have to be the one that pulls the trigger or the one that puts your hand in the handcuffs, but you, you're part of that operation uh to to do something like that and i think there's no greater achievement than that than doing the task that you signed up for mm-hmm. that that's uh, it sounds like because people that they're not in the military and police they think that every day you're like doing the things that they think you do in the movies but you don't yeah. right and so right. when you actually get to do something like that that's a great achievement and i think that's uh, uh i'm only thankful for for being able to do that and come back home safe because not yeah. everybody does and that's uh and that's a great thing yeah, no, that is, that is, that is awesome. Favorite quote, favorite mantra, mantra saying. Well, I have, um, uh, there's, there's the, there's, there's two that I really like. One yeah. is uh, who dares wins. The things that yeah. I, I don't want to just talk about that one. Cause it's very cliche. Like everybody talks about it. Right. It's good. But, it's one of my favorite ones too, man. Yeah. I mean, it's just so true, man. Like just, you have to, you have to dare, you have to have that, that, that risk taking, you know, you have to gamble that sometimes. Yep. And it's true anywhere. Like even in self-defense, man, like if you want to show your, your deterrence to someone else, you have to act like you've got nothing to lose, man, nothing yeah. to lose. And so, yeah, who dares wins. And the other one is um, facta non verba, which is uh, 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 what it means is uh, uh, actions, not words. Nice. Like I, there's so many people just talk, talk, talk and tell you this, this and that, but they don't show you. Like, I I don't even care about what someone says. I want to consider their actions, you know, and what they've done Mm -hmm. as as a method of me understanding who they are. 100%. Uh, Your words tell me what you want. Your actions show me who you are. 100%. man. I believe in that. Absolutely. What's a good habit for protectors or for people to make just a good habit for people to consider to become better protectors or better people? Well, that's a great question. I I think 
there are so many great habits that I'm sure also, you know, you've mentioned to your, to your students and your clients and other guests, but I think maybe one thing uh, that I think is um, uh, interesting is try to run through your head threats and scenarios all the time. Yeah. Like if, if you really want to be ready, you have to keep yep. your mind ready. So yes. if you're in a situation where you think, Hey, I'm in a gas station and there's some shady people here and you can't leave. I don't know you already started pumping or whatever then, or you just got there, just run through your head. Some scenarios. What happens if this guy right now comes to me or what happens if they, they start talking to my wife or what happens if this, like, what do I do? What am I going to do? And just run it through your head all the time. Yeah. Uh, I read one time that the samurai uh, were thinking about ways that they could be killed themselves. Like they, that someone could yeah. kill them like all day long. And that's wow. how they stay ready. That's so awesome. Man. I think that's, uh, I, I mean, that's how it works. Right. And I, I learned that, uh, not myself, like that we would just, when you were doing security or close protection, whatever, like usually your boss would come and be like, okay, what do you do if this happens? What do you do if this happens? Like it's a debrief, but it's also like on the spot thinking. So as I was doing my task, I'm thinking we're going to shake hands now. What happens if that guy pulls something out? Am I ready for it, right? Or where should I position myself? Where are my hands? Yep. Uh, so all of it matters. And if you're thinking about it all the time, you're going to keep your mind as ready as possible. This is the mother freaking cheat code, man. That is the truth. <laughs> I'm doing it all the time. Uh, General Mattis, be courteous, be kind, have a plan to kill everyone you meet. Right. I love that you said the samurais do that. Uh, Cause I do that all the time. Like, where am I vulnerable? What happens if this happens? And, and, and in real world in Iraq, I remember one of my, you know, younger Marines was like, Hey, corporal, um, you know, what did he say? He was like, he was first, he was like, he said something like, if we get hit, like, what should I do? Like, if we get blown up and I'm like, bro, hold on, we are going to get blown up. <laughs> I was like, we're in an area of operation where it's 80% victim initiated IEDs. We are the first vehicle. We're going to get blown up. I'm like, so what you need to do, okay, is just continue thinking about what you're going to do when it happens, what you're going to do when it happens. Like we're on this corner. What happens if we get blown up on this corner? What happens if we get blown up on that street? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And when it happens, you will do that. And then we get blown up. And the dust settles and he's, you know, and I remember we get back, you know, we're getting active again. And he's like, Corporal, Corporal, I did it. I thought about what I was going to do. And I did the same thing. And I'm like, that's exactly. Great. That's bangering. You did exactly. It, and this is like a daily thing. At first, it sounds like, oh, this is like a lot of work. Like, but then it's like driving. You get in the car. You get used At first, to you're, you're like, man, there's a lot of stuff I got to do. I got to shift. I got to steer. I got to look at these windows. And it's like overwhelming. But then after a while. You're like brushing your teeth while you drive and like texting when you shouldn't be and driving with your knees, you know, like that's, this is how it becomes. It just becomes a way of life, you know, and you're more aware and you're harder to kill. And you're when everyone else, when something happens and everyone else is like, no, I can't believe this is happening. Why? What, what it, like, and they're going through all these. You were ready. Yeah. You're already right there. Boom. And you're ready to do what you already planned if something got weird. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. no, man, this is a cheat code. It's good stuff, man. This has been an awesome conversation, my man. Yeah, man. So how would you like to be remembered, Bernardo? What's it all for? Um, that's, a, that's a very hard question, but um, I think I value character over possessions. Mm. So I would, I would prefer to be remembered by the uh, weight of my character than by 
you know, things that I have in my bank account or possessions. Although I do want to have a lot of money and properties, right? Don't get me wrong. But uh, when I, if I value something, then I, I'm going to value that more as my legacy. Mm, that's awesome, man. I love that. Good stuff, brother, man. This is, this has been outstanding. Last question. What are you up to these days and where can people find you? Yeah, thanks, man. I, well, I'm, a, I'm in Austin, Texas these days uh, with Tactical Fitness Austin. Um, nice. You know, I would uh, please check us out at tacticalfitnessaustin.com. Uh, we provide firearms training, uh, private training, as well as group classes and open enrollment classes. Uh, in everything has to do with uh, firearms and hand-to-hand combat. Uh, we teach the concealed carry level to uh, law enforcement agencies and military units as well. And nice. just reach out to us there uh, at tacticalfitnessaustin.com. Give us a follow on the Instagram. I'm uh, at disciplinedpapo, okay, which is a nickname that a friend of mine uh, gave me one day. Yeah. And I said, all right, I'm the disciplined papo. And uh, <laughs> yeah. yes, if you know, feel free to give me a follow there. And uh, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, that's what I'm doing nowadays. Just teaching all the time. I'm I'm on the range like every day, and I love it, man. I'm just that's shooting all day, and then I get paid also to to kick and punch and choke. So you know, what's I'm nice. living the dream. I'm right, really living right. the dream, man. It's amazing. This is, this, that's awesome. This is the appropriate like when a warrior comes home, like to, to pass all the stuff that you've experienced and done and the edges that you've sharpened, yeah. you know, to be able to pass this stuff. I think it's the appropriate next move for guys. And you know, what's really funny is I, I was offered before, like with the job, I was also at some point offered another job, which yeah. was paying a, you know, it's a lot of money and everything, but I was going to like be working like in an office with a suit every day and like, you know, being like director of security of a big company mm-hmm. and it's a great job. I'm not saying I didn't appreciate it, but I was like, dude, I want to be out in the range and I want to be out in the mat. Outside, Those are the things yeah. I want to do, man. And I, that's how, that's who I am. And I, I, I do changes and I take risks all the time. And I do things that people are like, why would you do that? Hey, if, if I, and, and then, then I turn to them and I say, that's why no one will remember you. Yeah. And that's why no one will remember your name. Yes. Yes. Achilles, man. I love that thing. He's a big guy. I wouldn't want to fight him. And that's why no one will remember your name. Boom. I love it, man. Dude. Good stuff, man. It's yeah. been fantastic to have this conversation. Yeah, I'm glad yeah, you're super, super happy that you, you, you had time to, to have me in your podcast and I'm really grateful for it. It's been, it's been really awesome, man. Thanks. Awesome, man. It's an honor to canonize and crystallize this information, these experiences. You know, you're the real deal. You're legit. So, you know, it's an honor. Good to Thank go. You, man. You're legit. You're the real deal as well, man. I'm, I'm really privileged to be in your podcast. Thank you. Thank you. It's an honor. So send me those links. We'll put them in the show notes for where people can find you. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and um, yeah, brother. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Thank you, man. Awesome meeting you online. And uh, I hope to talk to you again uh, soon. Uh, I don't know if wherever you're going to be, or if you're in Texas, or if I can come to California or something, man, I'd love to link up and do some yeah. training or, you know, just uh, hang out, get a coffee or whatever, or, or do a workout or anything. Heck yeah. you, can, you can kick my ass. You can, you know, yeah, kick right. me up. <laughs> yeah, right. And, uh, there you go, man. Now we'll get after it, man. I'm sure I'll learn a whole lot. All right. Solid, brother. We will talk All soon. Right, man. Boom. This is my MCK. There are many like it, but this one is mine. If you've got a firearm sitting around, a pistol that you are not doing anything with, 
get an MCK. They make them for every single model. If you want a micro conversion kit that will turn your handgun into a force multiplier, get one, man. They are ultra affordable. CAA MCK micro conversion kits are the changing the game, y'all. So if you don't have one, you need to get one. Get one, your women, children, people that are less physically potent will be able to fire your firearm to farther distances with more accuracy. You will be able to fire your firearm to farther distances with more accuracy. I wanna get one of these into the hands of 100,000 more protectors this year because ultimately we are only as good as the things, the nation is only as good as its protection. Your home is only as safe and as good as your ability to protect it. MCK, go get one, drop your handgun in, take it to the next level, out, boom. Yo, if you're a private security professional wanting to take your game to the next level, go to executiveprotectiontrainingday.com to check out my personal success package for private security professionals. Check it out, executiveprotectiontrainingday.com. And remember y'all, hard skills do save lives, but soft skills get you paid, boom. Boom, and to support this podcast, go to executiveprotectionlifestyle.com and contribute to our Patreon account. That Patreon account is what helps me make this podcast possible, contributing to this brand, what we're doing here, making it so that I can bring better guests on, making it so that we can plan more events and just expand the contribution to the private security industry and also to make an America a safer place. Do whatever you can, contribute whatever you can because it makes all of these things possible. Thanks for those contributions. Yo, and before we go, you know I got a shout out to the sponsor, starting out with Primary Weapon Systems, PWS. They truly are the evolution of the rifle. Use Byron for 10% off. Grayman and Company, the most comfortable tactical suits in the game. Use Byron for 10% off with them. Until the next podcast, this is Byron Rogers, protector by nature and by trade. Out. Boom.